0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you join with me in your Bibles or the Pew Bible in front of you, our text today comes from Luke's Gospel, the 14th chapter, verses 7 through 14. Let us look and hear God's word for us today. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor, in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give this person your place. And he said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors, in case that they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection. Of the righteous. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Speak, O Lord your servants are listening. Speak, O Lord, for our hearts are yearning to hear who you would have us be. Speak, O Lord, for our very souls cry out, what would you have us do? Speak, O Lord, Their very lives might be changed during this time together with you, so that we would leave here not just as hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray, amen. So I've been thinking a lot this week about President Jimmy Carter since it was announced by his family that he was entering hospice care at home. I mean, the 98-year-old former president who 46 years ago, he began his presidency quoting this scripture, Micah 6, 8, What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God? And then after taking the oath of office with these words still hanging in the air, what was his first act as president? He turned to his predecessor, Gerald Ford, and he extended his hand and he said these words, for myself and our nation. I want to thank my predecessor for all that he has done to heal our land. And then after that, Jimmy Carter began to thank Julia Coleman, his elementary school teacher, and countless others that had helped form him into who he had become and had helped prepare him for this day, this auspicious occasion of his inauguration as president. So the most powerful man in the country at the time, when he could have had the spotlight saying, look at me, I have arrived, what did he do? He elevated and praised his predecessor for leading a country through dark times, and then elevated and lifted up those who had shaped his life. I think it's fair to say that he has lived these words from Micah 6, 8, from the time of his announcing presidency, first on the campaign trail, where he carried his own suitcase. He stayed in the homes of citizens around our country, listening to their stories. Or while he was in office, where even when he was faced with domestic and foreign affairs crisis, which crippled his presidency, he still tried to lead and do his best. He brokered the Camp David peace accords, and even at a moment in which maybe someone else should have done something, he did the unthinkable. He'd invited Pope John Paul to speak at the White House, and they were standing outside, and every speaker's worst nightmare when you speak outdoors is wind. And on this day, the wind was blowing, so it was all Pope John Paul could do to keep his papers in front of him. But if you know anything about papal regalia, they wear, kind of popes wear a cape. And so as he's speaking, this cape is flying up behind his head. And what does Jimmy Carter do but stand behind him, the entirety of the pope's speech, holding the cape down. So this guest could deliver the message he wanted to share. I mean, surely there was somebody else on the White House staff, surely there was an underling somewhere that should have done that work, right? But in that moment in time, in space, the person that did it was the president. And we think about his post-presidential career, where he started the Carter Center, which wages peace, fighting disease, and building hope, or what we know him for most definitely is his work with Habitat for Humanity or just until recent years teaching Sunday school at Maranatha Baptist Church in Plains, Georgia, every week. Historians and political scientists and politicians and others will disagree back and forth on the effectiveness of his presidency and his politics, but they are all universal to a T that our country is better off because of his work, For the sake of humanity, post his time in office. And all this was carried out the same way his presidency started. With justice, mercy, and humbly walking with God. I've been thinking about this this week as we've started this season of Lent. You know, these 40 days in which we are to contemplate our relationship with God. To contemplate who God calls us to be. To contemplate how well we are living up to our calling, to contemplate the grace that we have received, to spend these 40 days considering that grace, considering our calling, and considering the changes that you and I need to make in order to fulfill what God has called us to do. See, Lent is sort of a spiritual checkup, if you will, on the condition of our heart as followers of the one who loves us most. And in today's text, Jesus instructs us to have the heart, to have a heart anchored in humility. Now, what we know a little bit from the story, if we started back at the beginning of the 14th chapter, Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee for a banquet. And we know the Pharisees, they're sort of the religious authorities of the day. They're the ones that always play the game of gotcha with Jesus, trying to trap him. So he walks into the Pharisee's house. And just before we get to this part of the text, Jesus encounters a man who is ill. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, this banquet is being thrown on the Sabbath, a day in which no work is to be done. And Jesus sees the man in pain and suffering, and he does what? He heals him. So the Pharisees are already armed, they're already loaded, they've already set the trap right before him, and so as they're gathered in this home, the dinner bell rings, it's time to come to the table, and Jesus watches. He sees how everybody's posturing to figure out who was the guest of honor and to sit at the best seat at the table. And that's when he begins the parable in today's pericope. He says, don't decide that you belong in the best place. Don't choose it for yourself. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and the humble will be exalted. And then as we're wrestling with this parable, then he turns to the host and he says, don't invite those who can reciprocate Instead, honor those who cannot, because you will be blessed because they cannot repay your invitation. And what this text tells us, as we think about our heart, that as we are be followers of Christ, that we must approach the world with humility and hospitality. That these are the conditions that must be part of the heart of a disciple. So think about this idea of humility at first, what, how we're supposed to look at this. And I think about things like dinner parties. Now, if you've ever thrown a dinner party for a large group of people, first you have to figure out the guest list, and there's always a little bit of politics with that. Who are you going to invite? Why are you going to invite them? Why are you not inviting this friend or that friend or this person or that person? But then once you get past the invitation, then you have to figure out where everybody's going to sit, especially if it's one of those formal dinner parties. And there's a pecking order, as you can read, if you study this stuff, there's a pecking order. For example, the guest of honor, depending on their gender, sits on one side or the other of the host. And then it's up the host to seat guests by the opposite sex, male, female, male, female. Oh, and then you want to pair guests who have similar interests. Otherwise, there's an awkward conversation. Like, what would happen if you put a vegetarian next to a cattle rancher? I mean... I guess what they have in common is they both love cows, but anyway. But you've got that, and then after that, what's really the best thing to do is to use place cards. But what happens if the only person invited to the dinner party, everybody that's there, the only person that they have in common, they don't know each other from Adam's house, cat. we're the only person that they have in common is the host, and then there are no place cards at that moment in time when it's time to come to the table when it's time to be seated everyone's trying to figure out should i sit at the best place should i sit next to the host do i get to and that's where our human nature comes in right we all decide to think that we're starting to look around the room and we're sizing each other up like well i think i'm more important than she is or I'm not as important as he is, or back and forth. And that's what Jesus is watching. And remember, Jesus watches everything. He's the ultimate sociologist. He knows humanity through and through, and he's watching always. And when he sees something worth pointing out to us, when our sense of self-importance, our shadow side, our arrogance, when it comes out, he calls us out on it. So in his teaching, what Jesus is telling us, he challenges us to truly seek righteousness in life. This idea of right living where we see each other as equals, where we check our ego and our self-importance at the door. And I don't mean the door coming into this place. I mean the door of our homes before we even go out into the world. We check it and leave it behind. And we put others first. First. Yeah, We see some images of this from time to time. It sort of pops out in our world. I know earlier back in, in November of last year, we elected bishops in the United Methodist Church. And there are, you know, there, there's, you think there's politics in politics? There's politics in the church, believe me. And so you have all these candidates who they have striven their whole careers for this. And there's some that have sort of bubbled up and their friends have said, you need to do this, you need to do it. Then there are others that they have been working the system to be a bishop, and it's finally their time. So as we watch these events unfold, I watched it online, so much of what we had one or two bishops elected, and it was, we we're only electing three, and we got down to sort of the last one, and there was this one person who, it had been their time. They had risen, they had done all the right things. They were a perfect candidate for bishop. They just weren't elected first or second, and so they're there, and they're watching what's happening and I'll never forget this moment, this candidate stood up in front of the microphone and said, Folks, I am so thankful to be nominated. And I'm so thankful for those of you who have voted for me. But as I look at the, at the College of Bishops, and I think about the voices that need to be at the table, I think there are other voices that need to be there than my own. I am stepping aside. Please don't vote for me any longer. Now think of this. Imagine that you have spent your whole career getting prepared for that one moment when you can sort of ascend to a high level in your organization and you step aside for someone else. Because there needs to be a difference of opinion, a different viewpoint, a different skill set. And you're willing to check yourself for the sake of the organization, for the sake of the world. Or what about the team leader who is the one that's responsible for pulling together a great project and it's a huge success and everybody up and down the corporate or company ladder is so excited about it and they want to celebrate the team leader and the team leader says, oh, no, no, I was just a part of it. Don't forget so-and-so and and what they brought to the table or such-and-such and what they did and begins to name all the members of the team and the skill sets that they brought and why the project was successful only because of that person or this person and that the team leader just happened to be the one in the driver's seat when the plan came together. See, C.S. Lewis talks about this idea of humility. He said, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Humility is thinking of ourselves less. See, my brothers and sisters, I think the seat of honor in the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who humble themselves before God and the world and to try to lift others up to think of themselves less and others more. And just as we begin to realize what this idea of humility is about, and that's the first part of a disciple's heart, we then jump to hospitality. So I've got a question for you. Have you ever been invited to an event or a dinner or a function in which you have no earthly reason for being there? Like you are so far out of your element. Like maybe it's a white tie and tails event and you are the last person that wants to wear white tie and tails. Or you go to the event and you look around and you're surrounded by all the Illuminati, all the famous people, and you're like googly-eyed and tongue-tied and you just kind of look at them and you don't even know how to talk to them because you know you're so out of your element. Or they serve food that you can't spell, much less pronounce. Pronounce are even welcomed into a home while on a mission trip in a foreign country where you don't speak the language or know the customs or the food or the culture or their concept of time, and yet you realize being welcomed into their home as you are to stay there and dine there that they have made a great sacrifice for you. In those occasions, how do we feel? I mean, we feel honored, right? We feel seen, we feel valued, we feel loved, we feel special. See, that's the gift of hospitality. See, hospitality is about this gift of generosity, it's about friendliness, it's about honor, it's about being lifted up and seen as something special even when you know maybe down deep that you're not. See, hospitality is how Christ calls us to treat each other. and calls us to do that in the same way. Why? Because we have been received at the the table of grace as well. When we come to Christ's table, when we come to it, there's never someone saying, oh, we don't have a seat for you. Matter of fact, they just set another place setting. Because at the table of grace, there's always room for us. And even when we think that we don't belong, by in fact, we do belong there because of God's grace. And so what Christ is challenging us, he's challenging us as individuals, he's challenging us as the church, the body of Christ, he's challenging us, the church, the institution, to care for the poor, the disabled, those in need, the least, the last, and lost, those who may feel like that they don't belong, but yet we know they do. I think in one of my earlier churches, there was this conversation I had, somebody, a couple came into my office one day, and they asked if our church... Uh, offered weddings or would officiate weddings or host weddings for non-church members, and much like Centenary, we do. And you could just see that there was another question coming, and they started to tell their story, and they said, well, and she spoke first, she said, I've been divorced twice. And he said, I've been divorced once. And they were very hesitant, very sheepish. Would you all host our wedding. Of course we would. And I shared that with him immediately. Of course we would. And the tears that rolled down their faces, they were accepted because apparently there were churches that would turn them away. And yet here they found this church that would say, sure, we'll be glad to host your wedding. Sure, we will help you get prepared for it. Sure, we will do the counseling beforehand so that your marriage gets off on the right foot. I think of families who have children with special needs and the struggles and the challenges that they find, because it's not, nor it's that what, they cha- what they face is different than what other families do. And to find a church that would say to them, your children are welcome here, we don't care if they fidget a little bit, if they squirm a little bit, if they're a little bit more verbal, we want this to be the home where they come to know that they are loved by God and by us. See, my brothers and sisters, the church is in the hospitality business. Because we have been received at the table of grace even when our lives are broken and imperfect and even when we think we don't belong. The ultimate host says, yes, you are my child. You are my beloved. You are welcome here. So think about this idea of hospitality, this idea of humility. And I think what Mother Teresa said, one of the great saints of the church, she says, if you are humble, nothing can touch you, neither praise nor disgrace, because you know who you are. I think of those words as I think of Jimmy Carter, and I would add this, that is truly how Jimmy Carter has lived his life. Because he knows who he is. And even more importantly, he knows whose he is. And I think the challenge for us on this, the first Sunday of Lent, is for us to have the heart of humility, the heart of hospitality, that we may live and practice our faith with these same lessons of humility and hospitality so that all the world knows who we are and whose we are. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings.